Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 3. If you're new to this whole church thing, just go to the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. So it's right after Luke, right before Acts. And we are going to be in John chapter 3. Pull it up on your phone, or if you brought the scriptures with you, you can do that, or you can follow along on the screen. And we're going to be stepping into a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And we're going to see some really amazing things today in this conversation. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now the Pharisees, they were not a big fan of the movement of Jesus. They, they, were, they were not really for this whole thing. They, they were kind of against Jesus. So this, this Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus by night. So he had to go to Jesus at night because most likely his group of people would have been like, hey, why are you going to have this conversation with Jesus? So he sneaks away for a while to go have a conversation with Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. So he's kind of admitting, hey, we've had some inside conversations here, this Pharisees, and we know there's something different about you, but we just don't necessarily want to publicly admit it. So we know that you've come from God as a teacher. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to have this, this secret conversation with Jesus that most of his friends would have been like, hey, I, we don't really know how we feel about Jesus. And he gives Jesus, he's like, hey, you know, I know there's something different about you. And then Jesus starts talking about this idea of being born again. Now, I want to know here, how many of us here today, maybe it's just me, but I think it's probably most of you, how many of you, you've been in a situation before and you wish when you look back on it that you could have a second chance or maybe a rebirth or a way to almost reinvent yourself? Anybody been there before? Okay, good. Yes, a lot of us have been there before. And sometimes it's on more of a situational level. It's, it's smaller and sometimes it's more on a macro level. Some of you are at a spot where you're like, I just need a complete overhaul of my entire life. Like we, we've been there before. Uh, on a situational level, I look back on my life and there are some decisions I've made before. And I sometimes I look at them and I think, oh, that's kind of funny. But then I look at other ones and I think, man, I was kind of being a jerk. And it's easy to think I should, I, I really want a second chance there, especially when my actions affect other people. Have you done that before? You thought, oh, this is just going to affect me. This is only going to affect me. But then what you do actually ends up affecting others. You know, for example, and I'm not, I'm not honoring this behavior, by the way, but when I was in, I was in 10th grade, my 10th grade English class with Miss Mack, and I did not enjoy that class. It was, it was not a fun class for me. I was down in Virginia, and I, I loved all my friends. I was going to high school, but this, this class, this was not my class, and I usually really enjoyed English class. And I remember at the end of the year, one of our final assignments, what we had to do was to take an assignment that we had put together earlier in the year and make adjustments to that paper based on what we had learned in the class. And I thought, I'm going to get back at this because I, I did not like this class. This lady, she was kind of mean to me sometimes, so I'm going to get back at her. So I took one of my papers from earlier in the year. I did not make any changes to it as I was supposed to do based on what I learned. I didn't make any changes. And at the end of the paper, I just wrote this. I made no adjustments to this paper because I learned nothing in this class. <laughs> and that's what I handed in. <laughs> now, I had an A in the class the first quarter, an A the second quarter, an A the third quarter. I got an F the fourth quarter. But thankfully, I passed because I did so well previously. And I thought, this is just going to affect me. This is not going to affect anybody else. It's all good. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But you know what? I had to make my point. 
I wouldn't do that today, by the way. But I, I, at the time, I was like, this is the, my, my 16-year-old mind thought, this is the best possible decision that I can make right now, or at least my friends will think I'm cool. So that's what I did. Well, then a couple years later, my little brother had that exact same teacher. And she looked at him on the first day and she said, Colton, I hope that you're nothing like your older brother because he really hurt me. And he then had... He then had a really bad year with her. It was not, now some of it I'm sure was on him, but he had a really bad year. And I looked back on that and I thought, you know, I wish I could do that over again. I wish I could have a second chance, but there's no reversing time. And now Colton was stuck and had this bad experience because she was seeing him through the lens of what I had done. And, and I look back and I wish I could have done something differently. Sometimes it's something like that. It's more situational. But some, some of us, you found yourself in a spot in life where you, could have a, you wish you could have a complete overhaul. You wish you could completely just change everything. I, I remember there was a time, about, I was about 20 years old, so this is eight years or so ago now. I was, I was at a part of a church plant and things were mostly going really well, but there was one leader there who was kind of like bullying people around and I spoke up and said something and nobody was like really doing much about it and somebody else spoke up and said something and nobody was really doing anything about it. So I was like, I'm getting out of town. I don't need this. And so, so I left the church. I didn't actually leave town. I just left the church. And uh, then I remember this guy started texting me and he was saying things to me in the text messages like, hey, you did this, this, and this. And like, I didn't do any of that. And then he would say, I'm telling other church leaders in the area that they should never give you a chance or hire you because you did this, this, and this. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this guy is just, he's going to try to ruin my reputation. And, and, he, and I'm going to have to leave Buffalo. I need a complete reinvention. Like I need to completely reinvent myself because this guy is going to try to ruin my rep and I'm not going to be able to work with anybody here. I'm not going to be able to work in any ministry here locally. Now he he ended up leaving and, and there was a whole story with that. But in the moment I thought I need to completely reinvent myself. I need to go somewhere where nobody knows me because this is not working out for me right now. And I imagine some of you have been there before as well, where maybe based off of decisions that you have made, or something that somebody else did to you, like I found in my situation, you end up in this spot where you say, I need a complete overhaul. I need a second chance. And sometimes, as I said, that's based off of your own decisions, or sometimes it's based off of something that someone has done to you, and they're trying to devalue you, and you're just thinking, I just need to go somewhere else. I need to come. I was thinking for a while, I got to leave Buffalo. I can't be here. And, and, and you've probably, some of you have been in this spot, and you're saying to yourself, how could I ever change? How could I possibly change? Could somebody like me ever really have a second chance? Could God ever use someone like me? It just doesn't seem possible. And it could be based off of a situation. It could be based on an entire life overhaul. And the good news that I want us all to discover today as we move forward into the way of the kingdom, that this is the way of Jesus, is to find and discover that every single one of us can have a second chance. Every single one of us can have a rebirth. And every single one of us can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what's going to start to unravel in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. So, John chapter 3. Let's break this down. The first thing I want us to discover, if you're taking notes and talk about, is this concept of the new birth. The new birth. I really believe that this concept can set some people free today. I really believe that there are some people, whether you're online or here in person, who you've been feeling like you're at a roadblock. You've been feeling like you can't move forward. You've been feeling like, I, I just don't know if God could use someone like me. I know God, I just don't know if he, and I, I really believe that this is concept. If we can grab a hold of this and move forward in this together, we can begin to discover together what it means for us to experience a new birth in Christ and that you can be set free and move forward in him. 
So Jesus starts talking to Nicodemus. He's talking about, hey, be born again. That's John chapter three, verse three, as we read earlier. And Nicodemus has a reasonable follow-up question. It's a very reasonable follow-up question. He asks this in John three, verse four. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? That's a reasonable question. Now, as I was doing some reading on this passage, there's some different ways of interpreting this question. Some people think that Nicodemus actually had a bit of an idea of what Jesus was saying, and he's almost sarcastically looking at Jesus and saying, people don't change. Can somebody really change Jesus? Now, that's not how I read it, but I do want to pause there for just a moment because that is something that's worth discussing in regards to the overall concept of where we are at today. Because some people, you've asked yourself that before, can I really change? Or you look at the people around you and you think, can they really change? I hear people say this all the time. They say, oh, people, people just don't change. People don't change. People don't change. And and I get it. If you've been burned enough by people, if you've been hurt enough times by other people, you start to believe people can't change. But that's a really dangerous thing to start declaring and to start believing. Because if you truly believe that people cannot change, then you either have to submit to that rule yourself and believe that you can't change, Or you're saying, oh yes, I can change, but nobody else can, which is a very self-righteous position to take. So you're either saying nobody can change, including myself, if you believe that people can't change, or you're saying nobody can change except for me. Well, that's not really, I don't think either of those places are places that we want to find ourselves in. And so Jesus begins to explain to Nicodemus how someone can truly change. And I believe Nicodemus is actually asking more of a biological question. He's, he's probably a little bit, he's, Jesus, he, how can a man, I don't mean to conjure up any disturbing images of like a, an adult going back into their mother's womb. And I, I know that could be very strange, but he's, he's trying to figure out, he's like, Jesus, what is it like? Do you step it? Like, what does that look like, Jesus? This is, I don't understand. What are you talking about? And so it, Jesus starts to, to kind of break this down for him. And th- this is a good reminder for us too, for, for, all, for all, the, all the people who you've been in church for a long time, you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower. Sometimes as Christians, we start to use language that other people don't understand and we just assume they understand it. We say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sanctified, set apart and holy and, you know, I'm glor- glorifying. And people are like, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I really just don't know what you're talking about right now. And we're like, we're using, have you been washed by the blood? Uh, people are like, what are you talking about right now? What blood are you talking about? Like, I'm just saying in, in a world where people, people, people don't always know. I was in a wedding last year and, uh, I was, I was, you know, we were holding hands, praying before the wedding, and there were a couple guys in the wedding who really weren't familiar with church or anything like that. And one of the guys who was praying, as we were standing praying together, he started letting out those groans like, yes, Lord, oh, yes, Lord. And I'm like, okay, this is what people do when they're led by the Spirit in prayer. These two guys had never heard anything like that before, and they start kicking me because they think I'm the one doing it. <laughs> they think I'm making fun or something. I would never do such a thing. Come on now. But anyway, so they start, Scott, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm not doing this. This is him. This is how he prays. But it's just a reminder. Sometimes we do things that other people are like, what are you guys even talking about right now? What is going on right now? And so when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, Nicodemus is genuine. What are you talking about? And so then Jesus starts to break it down a little bit. This concept of the new birth and what this means and what this looks like. And he says this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it, where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus starts to use these word pictures to describe the type of birth that's occurring. It's a birth of the spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says that in Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So when we come to Christ and give our lives to him, we are given this gift of the Holy Spirit. We're starting a series on the Holy Spirit next week, by the way, so we're going to get even more into this, but just for a few minutes for this conversation here. So Jesus said, it's like, if you're born of water and of the Spirit. Now, some people think that Jesus is talking about baptism in the Spirit, and I think that that's a plausible baptism and then also walking in the Spirit. I think that's a plausible interpretation, but I actually think that Jesus is saying that the Spirit is moving like a water within our lives, because the Spirit, the, Isaiah, um, Isaiah 44, Four, I believe it is, and Ezekiel 26 both use water as a descriptor for the movement of the Spirit. And the Spirit, like water, comes into our lives and begins to cleanse us and wash us and renew us. And then Jesus uses this picture of wind. And he said, the wind blows wherever it pleases and goes where it wants. And this would have began to really rattle Nicodemus's cage because in Nicodemus's world, in Nicodemus's world, it was about being a part of this certain family and following these certain religious structures. But now that the Spirit has come and Jesus is going to be sending the Spirit, the Spirit's going to be moving all over the place for all kinds of people. And the Spirit is like a wind who just disrupts things. The Holy Spirit will show up and he will disrupt. It's what he loves to do. The Holy Spirit will show up and he will disrupt your plans. He will show up and disrupt where you thought you were going. He will show up and disrupt. In that moment where you think, I can't go on, I couldn't have a second chance, the Spirit of God wants to speak into your life and let you know that you can be born of the Spirit, to have a new heavenly birth and become who it is that God has called you and designed you to be. And it's moving like the wind. Some of you here today, you thought, my life is going this direction and it's time to start listening to the Holy Spirit because he wants to take you in another direction. He's all about showing showing up and disrupting our plans, showing up and disrupting our agendas, showing up and disrupting our expectations. Have any of you in the summertime thought to yourself, I'm going to sit outside today and I'm going to read a book. Hopefully you're not doing it this time of year. That'd be a little bit crazy, but if that's your thing, that's your thing. You know, I'm going to sit outside and I'm going to read a book. I'm going to sit outside and I'm going to eat a meal. Whenever Kim comes to me and says, we're going to eat outside tonight, I'm like, oh, I just don't feel like this. Because what happens is, is you're sitting there and you're eating and the napkins start blowing all over the place if a little breeze comes by. Or I'm sitting outside reading, oh, this is going to be nice. And then a wind blows and it starts blowing the pages everywhere. Why? Wind disrupts. Wind interrupts. And that's the picture Jesus uses to describe the movement of the Spirit. The Spirit desires to move in each and every one of our lives and show up and disrupt your plans and making you new and making you who Christ designed you and called you to be. Professor and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright describes it this way. He said, The Judaism that Nicodemus and Jesus both knew had a good deal to do with being born into the right family. What mattered was being a child of Abraham. Of course, other things mattered too, but this was basic. Now Jesus is saying, God is starting a new family in which the ordinary birth isn't enough. So it's not about this religious structure or being in this family. That's not enough. You need to be born all over again, but be born from above. The Spirit is descended, and we can now have a new life in the Spirit as we call upon the name of Jesus. So for some of you today, my challenge is to allow the Holy Spirit to disrupt where your life has been going and make you brand new and wash and renew you and become who it is that you are designed and called to be in Christ. 
That's the beginning of the new birth. They continue to have this conversation about the Spirit and how He moves, but then they, they, they switch the conversation, and we begin to see that the new creation is here. With the new creation is here. I'd love to spend more on the Spirit, but as I said, and I'll say it over, we're starting our series on the Holy Spirit next week. I, I've got to, I can't wait for it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun one. But, but he, he wants us to know that the new creation is here, and this is an important concept because the new birth builds on new creation. Any of you before somebody's telling you a really long joke and they get to the punchline and you completely miss the punchline because you missed a detail in the joke earlier and you're just sitting there thinking, should I laugh right now? Is this the punchline? I don't know what happened. And then you just finally admit, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I completely missed where you were going with that. Or maybe you're that person when you're at the movies or you're watching a movie with people, you're always looking over and saying, what's going on right now? What's going on right now? And I think you are not welcome in my house again to do that while I'm watching a movie. But what's going on right now? What's going on? That's kind of what Jesus does here. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born of the Spirit and the movement of the wind. And then he takes this hard turn and starts opening up and revealing this concept of how the new creation is going to be working. And if we don't pay close enough attention to what Jesus is doing, and if we also don't pay close enough attention to the story that John is telling in his gospel, we might miss this turn that Jesus is taking here. So before I get to the statement that Jesus makes to Nicodemus that that is just so very important for where we're going, I want to give you a little bit of an overview of John's gospel. But to give you that overview, we have to go back to Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, the very first book in the Old Testament, says, starts out with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and gives the account of creation. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the setup of the ideal, that there's perfection in paradise And God is dwelling with humanity and has given humanity responsibility within the garden. And then in Genesis 3, we see this this fall occur where Adam and Eve choose to sin. And so now chaos has entered the world. Destruction has entered the world. and, And sin has entered the world. But Genesis 1 starts with in the beginning. And then when we get to John's gospel, John starts in John 1 with in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And what John is doing and setting up for us is he's telling the story of the new beginning. See, from Genesis 3 all the way up to the movement of Jesus, we see all of this back and forth between humanity and God, and it's just all so confusing and up and down and back and forth. Read the Old Testament. It's like, oh my goodness, what is this? There's a lot of drama here. And then Jesus arrives and steps onto the pages of human history, and John is revealing to us in his gospel the story of new beginnings and new creation. That's why he starts with in the beginning. He's, he's revealing to us that God is now getting his plan in order. He's now getting his plan back in place and saying, I am going to show you what it means to live in the new creation. Let's put it this way. John In the movement, in the work of Jesus, Jesus is revealing to us in John's gospel how to live in and experience a Genesis 1 and 2 reality in a Genesis 3 world. Jesus is revealing to us in John through his teaching, through his healing, through everything that he's doing, through the entire movement, how to bring a Genesis 1 and 2 reality to a Genesis 3 world. John is showing us in Jesus the story of new creation and how we can live in the new even in a world that's been stricken with a Genesis 3 reality. That's the story that John is revealing to us in the movement and the actions of Jesus, how new creation is possible, how the eternal has intersected with the temporary how the kingdom of God, how we can be born of the kingdom. 
And this makes these next words of Jesus so very, very, very important. It shows how the new birth built on the new creation, and it also demonstrates for us how John is revealing the story of new creation for us. Jesus says this to Nicodemus in John 3, 12 through 15. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, referring to himself, I have come from heaven for humanity, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Okay. Like I said, it's a hard right turn. First, what's, what's going on here? What's Jesus talking about? A serpent in the wilderness being lifted up. The Son of Man is descended. What's happening? Okay. In Numbers chapter 21, you can read this later. Numbers chapter 21, the people of Israel are bitten by serpents. Then they start complaining. Oh, Moses, can you do something for us? Moses, help us out because some of us are dying. We've been bitten by serpents. And so then God says to Moses, hey, Moses, take this replica of a serpent, wrap it around a pole, and then raise it up. And then when people look at the serpent, they will be healed from their snake bites. I know it's a weird story for 2022, but it's there and it's in the scriptures. And so this is what happens. So this, this serpent is raised up. The people look to the serpent and they're healed from their snake bites. This is what happens in this story. In fact, fun fact, that's where we get the medical symbol of the snake wrapped around the pole because that, that serpent brought healing, and so that's, that's where that comes from. But anyway, so they lift up this snake on a pole, and the, the people of Israel are healed. And Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up, up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that humanity will be saved. Here, here's what Jesus is, is showing us, is that just as the serpent was lifted up and brought healing to the nation, to the people of Israel. When the Son of Man is lifted up, when humanity looks to him, all of humanity can experience healing in him. When, the, when all of humanity looks to the Son, when he is raised up on a cross, all of humanity can experience healing in him. The new creation has arrived, arrived, the new life is here, and we don't have to succumb to the ways of this world, to the darkness of this world, but in fact, when we look to Jesus, all of humanity can experience healing and life and forgiveness in him. Here's what this means. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are healed. In Christ, you are set free. In Christ, you are renewed. In Christ, you have been rescued. In Christ, we are in paradise. In Christ, you are in the garden. In Christ, we have been given the power to live a Genesis 1 and 2 reality in a Genesis 3 world. I know I've talked about this before, but this is why in John's gospel, when Jesus is resurrected and Mary sees him, she thinks he's the gardener, just as Adam was the gardener. Jesus is the new and perfect Adam. Everything Adam failed to be, Christ succeeded in. And so when we look to Christ, healing has been made available to all of humanity and the new creation has arrived and we can live a Genesis 1 and 2 reality in a Genesis 3 world. And it's not just something for us to hold on to, it's something for us to bring to everyone around us. And that's why Jesus wraps up with these words in John 3, 16 through 17, when he looks at Nicodemus, probably his most famous words, thanks to our friend Stone Cold Steve Austin. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. When the son of man is lifted up on the cross and he's paid the sin for all of humanity, and then he's resurrected and we look to him, all of humanity that looks to him can be saved by him, can be rescued by him, can be restored by him. We can live as new creation in Christ. When we have a new birth, we've been invited to live in a new reality. And he made this possible for every single one of us. So then the challenge in this would be this, to live in the new birth 
and the new creation. To not just understand these concepts and hold on to them, but to live in them. So I've been the pastor at New Story Church for, I guess you could say almost two years now, because next month, March, will be two years since our first interest party that we had at Dash's Market on a Hurdle. Some of you were here for that. Can you believe it's been two years? It'll be two years. We had this interest party. We had like 80 people there, and then the next week, the world shut down. I was like, wow, this is an interesting time to start a church. But we had this interest party. It's been almost two years now. What if I decided that I don't tell Neil this, Neil's our executive pastor. What if I never tell Neil this? Because what I do is I, I, I do this full time. So meeting with people, writing messages, reading, researching, um, mostly meeting with people is what, is what my job entails. And I do this full time, all the time. What if, what if I decided one day, don't tell Neil, I'm not going to tell Neil that I'm going to do this. I decide to get up one morning and say, you know what? I put on a tie, put on some dress shoes, and I go back to my old job at Hook's Shoes. And let's say I don't tell anybody, let's, and I don't even tell the people at Hook's. I just walk in, hey, Art Hook, I'm here to work again. I just show up, you know, I start waiting on customers at Hook Shoes. They take numbers, and they get one, two, three. I say, hey, I got customer number two. And I, and I go wait on customer number two. And I get out, and they, you wear a tie there. And it's really, you know, you get on these little stools. And I go and sit on my stool, and I untie a person's shoe. And then I tie their shoes on them. And what if I go into the ordering room, and I say, hey, uh, hey, New Balance, we need to run a 990 sneakers in the gray for men. And yes, give me, send me two 124Es. I need, I need two of those. And then send me a run of, of men's black 1540 New Balances as well. And I need two 124Es, and I need two sizes of 13 2 because we're all, all out of those and they keep going like, and what if I just started doing that? And I didn't just do it part-time because you know, sometimes some pastors do this part-time, they do something else part-time. What if I just started doing that full-time Monday through Saturday? But my new title, I'm the lead pastor of News Story, but I'm doing this full-time. I just go back to my old role. And, and you know, people start, Neil starts saying, hey, Scott, you know, I've noticed, I've noticed your sermons. I mean, it feels like you're not even working on them anymore. You just keep saying the same thing over and over again. And you already do that enough when this is your full-time job. And, and, now, and now you're doing it even more now that, you know, we have some problems here, Scott. You're not meeting, people are saying they can't get a hold of you anymore, that you're telling them you're always busy. It would be strange. You'd have, somebody would have to say something if this was my new role, but I was doing something else full-time. It would be weird if I said, this is my new label, this is who I am, but I was living in an old role, in an old reality, full-time. It, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. But for many of us, we've, we've been to something, oh, I, I raised my hand, I'm new in Christ, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven one day, and, or, you know, I was at this place and I wrote down something on a piece of paper, and Joe, so I'm good. And we look at the new birth as an event, and we have this new label, but our life continues to look the same. It hasn't changed us at all. It hasn't transformed us at all. It, oh yeah, you know what? I made the decision so I can go to heaven. I, I'm good, I'm good. But then our life looks like the old. We have a new label, but we don't look like that label. We don't look like a new creation. We just look the same. We keep choosing that which was old. We keep choosing the old life instead of embracing and becoming the new. And I get it. It's hard. It's difficult. There's so many different influences and things to look at and, and listen to. And, and it gets complicated sometimes. And sometimes people begin to ask, okay, I, I understand that I'm new in Christ and, and I got this new birth and, and uh, you know, this, all this stuff and there's this new creation. I get that, but I just don't, some people really, how do I live in the new? And that's a good question. How do we begin to live in the new? And there's so much I could say about that, but I've already been talking for 29 minutes at this point. They got the timer going back there, so I can't go into all of that. 
But as Jesus begins to wrap up his conversation with Nicodemus, we begin to see a little bit of what it means for us to not just declare the new, but also to grow in and live in the new birth and live in the new creation. He starts talking to Nicodemus about darkness and light. And he says this to him, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought or formed in God. Let me read that. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought or formed in God. So just a simple question that we can ask ourselves after we've declared the new birth and said, I'm giving my life to you, Jesus, and I know that you've made me new. A simple question we can start to ask ourselves that I've been asking myself for weeks now, and it's just a great question. What is my trajectory? What is your trajectory? What is our trajectory? Are we moving towards the light or away from the light? In the lives that we choose to live, are we moving towards the cross or away from the cross? This is why I'm I'm saying, hey, get in a story group, get connected, because we want to be connected to other people who can help us move towards the cross. Because yes, sometimes we fall, sometimes we get confused, sometimes we get mixed up, but we have to have others with us who are willing to pick us up so that we don't just move to the light individually, but we move towards the light together. And moving towards the light, it it sets you free because as you move towards the light that is Christ, you yourself begin to become light to others around you, but also you begin to be set free and you're given clarity on who you are to become and what's next. It can be complicated sometimes because light also exposes so it can be a little bit uncomfortable. It begins, as you move closer to light, you begin to see some things. Oh, I need, to, I need to get rid of that. I need to let go of that. Man, that's been holding me down. And that part can be a little uncomfortable. But as you're moving towards the light and you're letting go of those things, you're actually embracing the intention that you were designed for and you're being set free and you're giving clarity on who you are to become. So what's your trajectory? If you want to live in the new birth and live in the new creation, are you moving towards the light or away from the light? Are you listening to the Spirit or are you listening to others? And don't don't get me wrong, because I I talk about every week, like we need to be around people as the church. Like we're called to be around all people and to love all people. But ask yourself, what voices are the voices that have the greatest influence in your life? What are the voices that are pointing you towards the light or away from the light? We are to be influences to all people around us. And so we want to make sure that we are moving towards the light and being salt and light as Christ has designed us and wired us to be. And as we move towards the light, we will begin to see, as we talked about in week one, that we are an unexpected people who've been created by God within his kingdom to do unexpected things. As we move towards the light, as we talked about in week two in Mark chapter four, when the storms of life come our way, we will experience that there's a kingdom calm that we can have when his kingdom has come. When we're experiencing heaven on earth, there's a kingdom calm that we can experience. And then as we talked about last week, 
with the Good Samaritan, as we move towards the light, we will stop asking, who is my neighbor? But instead we'll start asking, how can I be a better neighbor? How can I be a kingdom-minded neighbor? How can I cross the line and go above and beyond and demonstrate love and care to all people just as the Samaritan did? That's what it means for us to move towards the light. And as we move towards the light, we won't just be like babies who had a one-time event and then we're just, you know, doing whatever. We won't be spiritual babies, but we'll begin to grow and mature in our faith. And we will not just say that we had a new birth, but we'll be living in the new birth and we'll be living in new creation. This is what we've been called to do, church, to live in the new. I want to end this series with these words from John in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, as he's telling the story of the new beginning, as he's telling the story of how we can live in a Genesis 1 and 2 reality in a Genesis 3 world because the resurrection has conquered, because in Christ we are victorious. John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 